This is an ABC podcast. One time, maybe about a year or so ago, we had a patient who was very unwell and was quite agitated and aggressive. And we were able to manage that from like a mental health point of view. But medically, he was a little bit unstable as well. This is Orla. She's a registered psychiatric nurse and she works in a busy, big city hospital. So we had called Code Blue, like a rapid response for the medical team to come and review him. And one of the senior or more doctors that arrived said, oh, his heart rate is this and his blood pressure is that because he's agitated. There's nothing else wrong with him. Like, just leave him be. Orla didn't agree. I was very much like, no, that's not the case. Like, he's been asleep. Like, I've been looking after this patient all day. It's This is not from agitation. You know, this might be a side effect of medication. I think there's something physical going on here. And they very much kind of brushed off what we were saying, kind of thought that he just knew better. And I'm the doctor here. This is how it is. It wasn't until another male doctor joined Orla that the first doctor would listen. He was very dismissive, didn't even kind of look at me when I was speaking to him, which I found really quite rude. You know, almost looking past me, didn't really want to speak to me at all. So I I don't know if it came from like the fact that I was a female or I was younger than him or that I was a nurse. In the end, the patient got the treatment they needed and all was fine. And in the grand scheme of things, that dismissiveness and lack of eye contact that Orla experienced was a pretty low-level offence. It was a high-pressure situation, it wasn't bullying, it wasn't threatening, it was just rude. But that behaviour is what we're going to focus on, because even though it might be considered low-level, it can still have a pretty toxic effect. We've seen people who've experienced incivility have poor well-being. They've lost work time worrying about the incident or avoiding the offender. And it's not just in the workplace where rude behavior can impact us. If you go off the news headlines, there's a sense that society, at least in the West, is getting ruder. Airlines in America are demanding harsher penalties be applied to crack down on a rise in angry, abusive passengers. But are we really getting ruder? Civility does have this function to facilitate cooperation, to kind of signal this willingness to coexist amongst people that you don't always have ongoing interactions with. There's a real threat when that kind of system breaks down a little bit. You're listening to All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. Today, the toxic effect of rudeness. Back to Orla, the nurse, and the thing to know about her is she has a very thick skin. She has to, working in psychiatry. Her patients are really unwell and often agitated. They can be very verbally abusive, really derogatory things about your appearance, about your gender, about your sexual identity, all that kind of stuff. They can scream, they can be very intimidating kind of standing over you. But that aggression from patients she can understand and even compartmentalise in her head. They're not in their right state of mind. A lot of the time they don't have capacity, they can't think straight. What does get to her though is when her colleagues are rude. In my mind, I'm like, you're not unwell. Like, you know, everybody has a lot going on and especially over the last like year and a half, the pressure thing has been second to none. And what kind of effect does that have on you when your colleagues are rude? 
it's kind of like you question yourself you know you question your clinical judgment and how you are as a nurse and then you find yourself getting anxious like oh my god am I doing the job correctly like am I doing something wrong did I say the right thing and then you worry about making a mistake and how you're going to be perceived by your colleagues you're just like a big ball of anxiety and then you're going to end up kind of making a mistake anyway because you're so focused on not making a mistake. I mean that's an exhausting tailspin to go down and you think I mean the person who made the comment probably isn't (laughs) engaging in that level of reflection or thinking about it at all are they? No well yeah probably not. They're just sitting there ruminating on like one passing comment that somebody may have said because they were having a bad day and you were the person that they kind of took it out on but It's how you kind of perceive it yourself. This kind of ruminating and second-guessing is part of what makes rude behaviour so pernicious. Incivility, which would be kind of what we consider to be the type of mistreatment that would encapsulate rudeness, it has a pretty clear definition. This is Dr. Lauren Park, an organizational psychologist. So this is behavior with an ambiguous intent to harm the target that is characteristically rude and discourteous and also violates norms for mutual respect. Some examples that we see there are doubting someone's judgment or using all caps in an email where it's kind of, you know, it's pretty clear that the intention of using all caps was to simulate kind of shouting or being very, you know, aggressive, replying to your emails, but not actually answering your question. So Passive aggression. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Tell me about the ambiguous part. Why does that make it um, tricky or, or distinct? This this piece, the fact that it is ambiguous and low in intensity is actually what makes incivility different from other forms of workplace mistreatment, like we would say bullying or harassment. So with incivility in particular, because it's so low in intensity, it's really ambiguous to the people who face it. So they're not really sure, um, did they exclude me from this meeting intentionally? Were they doing this to be rude or was it just an oversight? So because it's so ambiguous and it's low in intensity, it's actually one of the more common, if not the most common form of mistreatment that we see in the workplace. There are some estimates as high as about 98% of employees have experienced some sort of incivility in the workplace. Wow. And in addition, because, you know, of this high base rate, we also see with this ambiguity, it can be really impactful because we're ruminating about it, right? When someone is outright being a bully or harassing, we can pretty clearly understand what that behavior was, where that was coming from, understand that there was malicious intent behind it. But with incivility, because it's so ambiguous, there's a lot of questioning of whether or not, you know, I'm being too sensitive, whether or not this is the norm in this workplace. There's just a lot of rumination around it, which can cause uh, pretty poor outcomes for people who are targeted. And all of that can have considerable flow-on effects. Studies have found being subjected to rude behavior can reduce a person's focus on tasks as well as their creativity in problem-solving. It can also impact how helpful people are willing to be to others. Rude behavior is thought to disrupt our working memory because if we're ruminating, we're not fully concentrating on what we're meant to be doing. 
rudeness can affect staff retention too. One poll of 800 workers, published in the Harvard Business Review, found 12% of respondents left their job because of uncivil treatment. And in healthcare settings, like where Orla works, incivility can even impact patient care. Lower compliance with hand hygiene, more diagnostic errors, and higher risk of death have all been observed in various studies. Yeah, yeah. So incivility, particularly in healthcare, is very widely studied because it is one of the industries where we see this the most. Mm -hmm. um, and there's there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, it's a very high stakes profession, right? People are under job stress almost all of the time. But we also see that within healthcare, there's a lot of reliance on communication between teams of people. And so with that, there's a lot of area for miscommunication. So there has been work that's shown that this kind of interpersonal conflict has very serious implications on patient outcomes. So not only, you know, patients' perceptions of quality of care and how kind of emotionally they feel about their experience, but actual metrics of patient safety. Why is rudeness so often permitted in workplaces? Like you mentioned, it's thought up to 98% of employees have experienced rude behavior in the workplace. It feels like many workplaces give that kind of stuff a pass. Why do you think that is? I think it, it comes back to this idea of ambiguous intent. When we're not sure why someone else is behaving the way that they are, it's a lot more difficult to confront them about that behavior or report that behavior to maybe a manager or an HR representative. Mm. So, you know, examples of incivility that we see from the literature include things like interrupting or addressing someone in unprofessional terms or excluding someone from a meeting. All of those things are, you know, if that, that happens to you, you might not consider that very malicious in intent, depending on who the person was and, of course, the context. But because those things are so ambiguous, it is difficult to confront that person about the behavior and change it. Mm. So I think that's why we let this go on for so long is because these are behaviors that are difficult to address and they can be also really difficult to stop once they've started. With that story with the doctor and how they were dismissive, did you, was that kind of behavior, did you report that? No, I didn't report that. And why not? Um, sometimes, like, I personally think, like, you have to pick your battles, mm. especially in healthcare. And something like that, at that point in time, I didn't really feel like was the most important thing to kind of fight about, if that makes sense. Mm. There was a lot of other things going on with that patient that kind of seemed more important at the time. On the flip side, can you think of a time where someone was really generous or kind to you and describe the effect that had on you? I suppose from the opposite side to that, like the nursing and mental health, it's very different. We're very close. You know, we see the weird and the wonderful and you see people at their most distressed. And that really kind of 
bonds you. And I guess having that sense of camaraderie, do you think that translates into better patient care as well? Oh, definitely. Definitely. It does. Like when you enjoy being at work and you enjoy working with the people around you, you know, you're in a better mood. The patients are in a better mood. And, <laughs> you know, everyone just has everyone just has a good time. Yeah. As an organisational psychologist, Dr Lauren Park's own work has tried to uncover the factors that make rudeness in the workplace more likely. We have, kind of as a field, a lot of great understanding of how incivility impacts targets. Uh, we know the issues related to well-being, related to job attitudes, related to performance, but there hasn't been a lot of focus on the instigators. We're not looking at how we can intervene before incivility happens. We're more looking at how we can intervene after someone's experienced it. So Dr. Park and her co-author conducted a review of the existing research, sifting through 70 peer-reviewed papers to see if they could identify any patterns among instigators. In terms of, you know, really impactful things that we saw that are related to instigation, well-being was a really big one. So people who had greater physical well-being, who had greater what we call job-related affective well-being, so a type of well-being that is inherently emotional and related to how you are feeling about it. People who were higher on those forms of well-being were less likely to instigate, and the inverse was true as well. People who were very burned out, people who experienced a lot of job stress, a lot of negative moods, were more likely to instigate incivility. That's really interesting because I guess that sort of goes with the um, common kind of, you know, idea that people who are hurt, hurt. Does it sort of tie into that kind mm. of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we see in, in a lot of ways, people who are struggling with their well-being don't really have always the physical and mental capacity to modulate their response to a situation. But one of the biggest factors that predicted workplace incivility was workplace incivility. So regardless of whether you were struggling with your general well-being or not, if you observed rude behavior or experienced it, you were more likely to instigate. Yeah, some of the strongest relationships we saw were really with this idea of reciprocal incivility. So regardless of the source, regardless of this was my coworker, this was my supervisor, this was a customer, um, people who observed incivility or experienced it themselves were much more likely to instigate. And that was pretty consistently a stronger relationship than most every other correlate that we examined. But you also found older employees were less likely to follow this dynamic? Yes. So regardless of kind of their base rate of instigation, older employees were actually less likely to reciprocate. Any, any thoughts on why that might be? Yeah, there has been some work that shows that people who are older are better able to manage their emotions, particularly in workplace contexts. And there's a couple of different reasons for this. One that's most notably is that it's kind of almost a, a survivorship bias where we have people who have problems 
probably stayed in an occupation for a really long time. And because of that, they have either gained the skills that they need to be able to manage their emotions and kind of stop that incivility cycle, or the people who have not been successful at that and have not gained that skill are no longer in those hmm. roles. But I mean, regardless, we do see, you know, as we kind of move along the spectrum of age and look at older employees, they're typically better able to manage their emotions. Right. So is it just a bunch of young hotheads running around workplaces <laughs> causing all of this trouble? It's it's interesting. I think it, um, you know, there might be age differences, but I do also come back to maybe that idea of norms mm-hmm. where people who have been in the workforce for longer, people who have maybe been in one particular organization for longer, have a better idea of how they should interact with others and what they should expect from other people as themselves. Hmm. So possibly that age-related difference is just because, you know, we've we've become accustomed to being in the workplace and have understood what is expected of us in terms of interpersonal interaction. Was there anything that surprised you about the findings? Yeah, one thing that I've thought really interesting and also very timely just kind of considering where we are with the pandemic and with organizations making a lot of decisions about the return to work. One thing that we found was that reciprocation was a lot less likely the more control you had over your job. So if I have a higher level of job control, if I have a higher level of autonomy in maybe how, where, and when I do my work, I'm less likely to reciprocate, which for me really speaks to you know the importance of taking into account employee autonomy as we're making all of these decisions about organizational policies related to flexible work mm-hmm. arrangements and hybrid workplaces. We see that employees who have the have the control over their job and maybe the control over when they're taking breaks, when they can spend time with their family and maybe step away for a moment. All of these things are really impactful in making sure that employees, when they've experienced incivility, have ways of coping with that experience that aren't instigating themselves. Is rudeness on the rise in workplaces? So I haven't seen any data to say that rudeness is on the rise. What I can say is that the things that would lead to greater incivility, we know are on the rise. Hmm. So things like burnout at an all-time high right now, job insecurity, you know, as the economic impacts of the pandemic and just all of the disruptions of 2020 continue to kind of ripple out. There is this kind of sense of job insecurity. Another one that's particularly pertinent is conflict between work and non-work. And of course, as you know, people who are working from home more often, those lines between work and non-work are being increasingly blurred. So that is absolutely on the rise and instigated incivility likely on the rise with it. You're listening to All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. Today, the toxic effects of rudeness. And let's stick with this question of whether rude behaviour is on the rise, not just in workplaces, but in general. 
Is it possible to say with any degree of accuracy whether the pandemic has made us more rude as a society, or is the evidence more anecdotal than that? I would suggest that it's a little bit more anecdotal. I think that when we think about rudeness, we do have to kind of think back to like what factors are causing it. So there have been a lot of examples of unintentional rudeness. This is Steve Zeck. He's a lecturer in politics and international relations at Monash University and co-author of the book Recovering Civility During COVID-19. His co-author is Matteo Bonotti, senior lecturer at Monash University, also in politics and international relations. I think what we really identified as some of the main causes, especially at the beginning, is that politeness is something that works as a signal. Now, we are polite to signal our respect for others, for example. Normally, in times of no crisis, we have a certain vocabulary of politeness that we can use to communicate our respect for others. We say thank you, we shake people's hands. In some countries, we kiss, we hug, not to, to say hello. But obviously, the pandemic disrupted all of this. So people suddenly found themselves without a ready-made vocabulary to communicate the respect for others. And relatedly, signals which in the past might have worked as polite signals started to go awry, so started to be misunderstood. And so suddenly, she tried to shake someone's hand became impolite, a sign of disrespect. So we, we think that these are two important factors. But Steve and Matteo say we're also seeing more intentional rudeness. Especially as societies become more polarized around certain issues in the US, but also in Italy, which is the country I'm originally from, there's been an increasing polarization around issues such as vaccines. And therefore, people use rudeness to communicate their opposition, not the political, the moral opposition to, to these measures. So that's another way in which we, we see increasing rudeness. And sometimes that rudeness may become something more. It, can, it may become what we call, you know, in our book, Stephen and I call moral incivility, which is not just mere impoliteness. It's really started to treat other people or fail to treat other people as free and equal. So now we start to witness and uh, see things like hate speech or actual violence, you know, hate crimes. It, these are not just impolite forms of expression or behavior, but they are morally unseated as something deeper, something more problematic, something more difficult to address. And I guess in terms of the US versus Australia, I think for a lot of people who've just been you know, watching the news, looking at the headlines, there's a sense that things are particularly bad in the US, you know, um, customers being awful to white staff and flight attendants and the rest. Do we have any sense of it, whether it's the issue is worse there compared to here? I think that it's probably worse in the U.S., partly just because of this kind of, I guess, this broader tension in public life that exists there. It's not that Australia is immune to that, but we've been in lockdown in so many places for so long that we're just starting to see these kind of public protests around vaccination policies. We're just starting to re-enter uh, you know, social life and the restaurants will begin traveling more frequently soon. So I, I don't think that Australia will be immune, but I do think it has been especially pronounced in the U.S. If we're thinking of whether society is becoming more rude, you would think social media has certainly made it more rude. Can you talk about the impact of social media? There is existing academic research and experimental stuff and then, you know, uh, you know uh, general research that can support that finding that there are characteristics that are distinct to online engagement and speech uh, as opposed to interpersonal communication. So, you know, along those lines uh, that, that when you can do it anonymously, where there aren't repercussions, people can you know, trend towards more uncivil behavior. 
Um, and I think, in, in also just to add on to the idea of, of a distinction between internet, I think to seeing uh, the behavior of public officials and politicians is also really telling where it becomes a little bit more normalized when it's clearly a part of public life and might influence how you know, others may be more or less civil. What do you worry the effect of all that increased incivility will be on both individuals and their well-being, but also society more generally? It's troubling, you know, it's very worrisome, but it's also just, it's always been with us and will always be with us. You know, when we have contentious politics, civility does have this function to facilitate cooperation, to kind of signal this willingness to coexist amongst people that you don't always have ongoing interactions with. There's a real threat when that kind of um, system breaks down a little bit and it can lead to kind of more extreme actions. But I also feel somewhat optimistic about this. I think humans are very adaptable and we can kind of recreate, refine, and get systems in place where we can uh, facilitate this cooperation and have a kind of better functioning society. So it's not that, you know, that this is going to be a static situation where there's just more rudeness. I think that these kind of problems will kind of even out. And I think that we can kind of re-enter some degree of normal life moving forward as the pandemic goes on. Is there anything that can actually be done to stamp out rudeness in the workplace? And and should we be that concerned about it, really? Because people are people and they act in all sorts of ways. <laughs> yeah, so I think we should be concerned about it, definitely. We've seen people who've experienced incivility have poor well-being. They've lost work time worrying about the incident or avoiding the offender. I mean, I think I think it can be a fact of life. I think we're always going to have miscommunications that might be considered rude, but that doesn't mean that it's not important to address them because they are very impactful for people and can lead to very negative outcomes for targets and for organizations as a whole. As for Orla, the nurse we heard from earlier, she's certainly been on the receiving end of rude behavior, but I wanted to ask her if she thinks she's ever been the instigator. Um, I probably have been, uh, being completely honest, in them like high-stress situations when everything is going wrong. Your main goal is to make sure that everybody stays safe and nobody gets hurt. So you could be barking orders at somebody and they may perceive it as like being rude. And it's never, it would never be my intention mm-hmm. to be to be rude to somebody or dismissive. But when you ask a question, it may come off a bit abrasive. Yeah. And because because I I can be quite outspoken and you know, I'm I'm not afraid to kind of speak up. So I think sometimes people might see that as being a bit abrasive or being a bit rude, but it's it's not, it's just me being assertive. For the patient's care or for a situation that's happening. Have you ever like sort of gone up to someone afterwards and been like, sorry, I didn't mean to uh, sound um, that way? Or like, yeah, you do. Like after the situation, you kind of come together and you have like wee little huddles. And, you know, I'll say, look, I might not have been the nicest or like, you know, I'm sorry if someone thought that I was was being rude, but like I would always acknowledge that everyone did their best and, and worked really hard. So 
I think that's the most important part when you say like, oh, I, I didn't mean to, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if I upset you or if I, I've been rude there. We're all there for the same reason. So like we should all try and work together, not against each other. That's Orla, a registered psychiatric nurse. Before her, we heard from Dr. Lauren Park, an organizational psychologist, as well as Steve Zeck and Matteo Bonatti, both co-authors of the book, Recovering Civility During COVID-19. And if you enjoyed this episode and felt like the workplace information might be useful for your own career, you might also want to check out This Working Life from ABC RN. It's a show all about the world of work and helping you navigate it. You can find that on the Radio National website or wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for All in the Mind this week. Our producer is James Bullen. Sound engineer is Tim Jenkins. I'm Sana Kadar. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Thank you.